0: Hello and welcome to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury, CEO and co-founder of Wearsfire. Today on the show, we're talking all things great places to work. Have you ever worked somewhere that you absolutely loved it? Maybe the vision and values weren't just a poster on the wall, it was something that was lived every day. Perhaps you felt psychologically safe in your workplace, or maybe you are part of a high performing team. Today, we're going to explore exactly how to do that with our special guest, Alice Hanna. She's currently the head of people and culture at Capital, and she has won a number of awards in the category of number one, best place to work, and we're going to find out exactly how she did it. Welcome to the show Alice, it's awesome to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, I'm so excited to join you. Brilliant, well let's jump in. I want to hear the backstory because you've won a number of amazing awards, you've had a stellar career, but how did you even get here in the first place? Were you passionate as soon as you started working about creating great places to work, or did it kind of show up as your career progressed? I definitely
1: fell into it like a lot of people do, so I actually studied psychology. And when I was at uni, I wanted to be a forensic psychologist because I loved Stully from the X-Files, so I um, studied psychology. But once I graduated and started working in the field, I realised it wasn't for me. And by pure dumb luck, I fell into a HR administrator role at an organisation I'd been working at during uni and instantly just fell in love with it. I realised I could use all of the skills from psychology um, working with organizations rather than individuals and my career really progressed from there and then really probably five years in I fell in love with this concept of innovative great places to work and it's just snowballed from there and now it's really my specialty is creating great places to work. Well, it's, of course, very important we spend, I hate to
0: think, the number of hours that we spend at work every day. And I have worked in the construction industry. It was really challenging in some places. And I've also worked in really amazing places. So, it does take up a really huge part of our life. Um, you won a number of awards. So, firstly, wow, congratulations. As someone who's dedicated their career to creating awesome culture, and actually, I do want to call out the awards because they're awesome. So, you've got number one in the BRW Best Places to Work in a Former Role. And you also got... Kind Capital group place number one in last year's work plus best places to work. How did you do it? Because I know there are a lot of people listening to this who might be in a challenging culture. Where do you even start? I feel like
1: it's a pretty big question to kick the off. It out. is. We could do a whole podcast just on this. So I'll keep it, I'll keep it as brief as I can. So firstly, it's not just me. No one person can create, embed, maintain a great culture. So at both the organizations that which achieved these accolades it was absolutely a team effort right from the top so at both organizations we had uh, directors that were absolutely passionate about people and about culture and most importantly were willing to put their money where their mouth was on that and both organizations um, really gave me a blank slate if you like and said here's what we want to achieve here's the type of organization we want to be how can we get there. So it starts at the top and then you have to get the whole leadership team on board, but then you really have to hire the right people as well. Culture is not something you can put on a poster and dictate that people have to be. It really is the sum total of every individual in the organization, which means that you have to be really clear on your vision, be really clear on your values, higher in line with that, hire for people that will add to that. Um, and it's a daily discipline. People think culture is this warm and fuzzy fun thing, Um, Or the big events or the big milestones and the big programs, but it's actually the combination of every single interaction you have in a day makes up your feeling of your organization, which means that you have to create a culture where uh, you feel safe, you feel respected, you feel inspired, you feel motivated a significant amount of the time. It's not just the event you have every month or the Christmas party or the. health and wellbeing program you roll out, you actually have to create a place where every single moment lives and breathes the values and that's where the discipline and the hard work comes in every day for every leader at every level in the organisation.
0: That would be nice it, if you write the strategy, you set the culture and then tick, it's done, dust yes. of hand. goes. i a job. <laughs> I've had a number of mentors who are CEOs say this to me, and particularly I'm very passionate about the diversity inclusion space. And um, they they said, you know, even just gen, the um, gender pay gap. They said you don't just you know tick the box, gender gender pay gap sorted, move on. You've got to be continually looking at it over and over again. And I love what you said around the culture piece that it's almost like those small things you do every day, whether it's you know how you go about sending an invoice, how you interact with a, a, a customer, how you interact with a staff member. Those almost like micro pieces of culture throughout. How would you define culture? How, or could, how, could you describe what it is? Because I feel like it's a word, and particularly today, it gets talked about a lot, but it can be a bit ambiguous for people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's just the, the feeling, the sentiments you have about your organisation, which comes from the sum total of every interaction you have. So it's your daily experience and how your daily experience makes you feel. So I would describe capital's culture as driven, it's passionate, it's agile. So I can't um, put that on a wall and say to people, be driven or be agile, but the way we create everything from our systems to our processes to how we talk to each other creates that. So really it's the sum total of all of your interactions that give you the feeling of the culture of your organisation.
0: Hmm. So if I was a new person, I was just about to start a capital, how would you I guess get me on board with that? I get I imagine that in the interview process you've kind of already screened for that is this person driven, et cetera. Um, but then is there you know do you think about that as you're onboarding someone? How do you embed or, you know, I really um, paint a picture, I think of those things like being
1: driven? Absolutely. So our values are supportive, authentic, inspirational and driven, but they're just words, right? So if I asked all of our new starters to define them, they'd define them differently. So what we've done is we've broken down each value into really uh, detailed behaviours that we want to see and behaviours we don't want to see. And we actually take every new starter through every single one of those, but we tell it through story. We don't just put a list of behaviours in front of them and say, do these things, don't do these things. Each one comes with really key stories throughout the capital journey that helps bring it to life so they can really see, right, this is how I'm expected to behave, but this is how I'm um, expecting other people to behave towards me. And we tell it through story because story is how culture is passed down. We know that from the oldest culture uh, in the world, the Australian Indigenous peoples that pass that down through story. And we do that here too. We tell it through stories. So whether that's for new starters or existing people, we we try to um, engage people for change and engage people to be driven and motivated and inspire them through story. So good. I feel like no one's talking about that. I've literally not heard someone
0: describe it in that way, and it makes sense. There's, we had a storyteller on the podcast recently, and um, oh, so fascinating hearing his journey. And um, I stood out to me when I was talking to him. There, uh, who is it? Uh, Seth Godin talked about there's the Ten Commandments, which you know, if you're a Christian, they're the things that you should live by. And it's a list of 10 things. Then most people don't remember them. He said, more Americans can remember the ingredients on a Big Mac compared to the Ten Commandments. He used a great story to remind me of that. And he said, most people can tell you the story of Adam and Eve because it is a story and you can you know describe that. You can you know talk about what's happened. And I can imagine that really gives people that visual of here's how to act, here's how to be, here's how to think about a scenario and has been really effective. Have you you tried that in other organisations or is it
1: something that you've really embedded here? I think I'm a natural storyteller so I think I naturally have always done that. In terms of embedding it formally, this is probably the first organisation that we have been very strategic about it. We train people on storytelling. Every training session starts with stories of lessons learnt so people can learn from other people's mistakes and not make the same. If you just say to someone, don't waterproof a bathroom this way, they'll forget If someone tells the story of I lost $2 million and my client was really upset and two of my people left because I burnt them out because we had to re-waterproof every bathroom in the apartment building, that is going to stick in people's minds. So we now wind story into training as well. So I think this is probably the most structured rollout of storytelling I've been involved in and it's really powerful and really successful.
0: My mind is ticking now. I'm just thinking of so many situations where I've not done that and where that would have been so powerful. And one of my good friends had to get a, water, a bathroom re-water bricks just after she bought a brand new apartment. So that is a very real story for me. So I can relate to the pain and challenge of that situation. So extremely powerful. How do you find it working with the senior leaders? Because obviously they're out to create an amazing business, um, to deliver for their clients and customers. Um, How do you see senior leaders can help set that culture and influence that throughout the organisation?
1: Well, they're absolutely critical. I've worked at organisations where the leaders of the business say they want to create a great culture, but they don't role model the behaviours required to do that themselves and they don't put their money where their mouth is to that. And I don't mean throwing money at perks and parties. That's not what I mean at all. But it is, a, um, it, it is a big investment to do a lot of the things that create a great place to work. But the really smart leaders, they understand that the more you invest in people, the more successful your business will be and the more profitable your business will be. So here at Capital, I'm really lucky. Our directors, Andrew and David, absolutely get it. I say that they see the matrix. They really, truly <laughs> understand the importance of what we do with culture. And they put their money where their mouth is when it comes to that. So small example of that during COVID, when there was a lot of stand downs in construction, capital paid everybody full time for the entire period of all the shutdowns, which was an incredibly large investment. There were people sitting at home doing nothing, getting their full salary, when it, where a lot of other organizations stood people down on, on lower pay. Um, and they just understood that the difficulty of that time, um, that small amount of money to us with a huge amount of money to people and the loyalty we got in return there was a huge uh, spike in turnover across the industry after COVID but we didn't experience that because people had been so looked after but that was a big investment it was a huge monetary investment really and um, they were willing to do that because they saw the bigger picture so I think uh, you have to have leaders that really truly understand it will put their money where their mouth is on it and that comes to vision values Uh, which hopefully we get to dig into today, but also uh, role modelling the behaviours themselves. I've, again, worked with leaders who say, well, our people have to be X, Y and Z, but they're the opposite. And of course, that's going to be seen. So even though every single person in an organisation contributes to the culture and has to live and breathe the values, it also has to start from the top at the same time. So senior leaders have to get it, which is really hard to get them to understand it. A lot of businesses, when times are tough, they'll cut costs because they think that's how they make more profit, where businesses that get it will actually invest more in their people in those tough times because they understand it's their people that bring them through the tough times. Absolutely. I
0: think there's a, I can really hear a mindset there of that longer term play, particularly with, you know, what happened during COVID and that that can be really tough in business and, and construction. When someone, I actually heard Jack uh, Hutchinson from Hutchinson Builders talk on a panel last week and he said, uh, your co- construction costs have gone up 40% since 2020, which is outrageous. I don't know how the industry is, you know, coping with that. And there's so many challenges in the industry. How do you, you know, is, is that mindset and that long term thinking a big part of that culture piece as well? Do you
1: find yes and no it has to be but also construction moves really really quickly and it is a day-by-day proposition as well so it's actually a really big challenge to concurrently have people think moment to moment day to day as well as long term so it's something capital is really working on to be more future focused every day and not just from a leadership perspective but asking people on the ground when you make a decision don't just think what does it mean for today What does it mean for the thing you build on top of it or the next time we work with this customer, et cetera? Mm. So we are trying to build future thinking into everything we do, but particularly with culture, that's probably where we do it best. We do it best with people uh, Mm. and looking after our people. Sometimes we forfeit margin to look after our people and the COVID story is a good example of that because we understand that people are our greatest asset. Being a construction business, we don't own the buildings we build. We don't own the machinery we build with. We actually don't have assets except our people. So we um, really recognize that and put a lot of time and effort into nurturing that for now and for the future. Yeah.
0: And we've worked with clients in
1: construction and it's been really interesting to see um,
0: the different cultures compared with some of our other clients in infrastructure space where it is very project based. And being an engineer, uh, most of my career, I've certainly experienced that where, yeah, you are building the thing and then you're on to the next thing. And I imagine that could be, is that quite challenging or disruptive to that culture piece or is it, you know, yeah, how do you navigate that? Because we've certainly found that challenging um, when it is a project to project situation.
1: Yeah, we try and weave our skills and learning and development through that. So yes, you might be on a project now that's finishing in six months, but we want to make sure people take all the learnings from that to their next project. But we also want them to share what they've learned with other people so they don't make the same mistakes. And we want to make sure that the next project we put them on, actually, fills a gap in their career. So someone might have done two apartment buildings. So next time we won't put them on an apartment building, we'll purposely put them on a data centre, for example, which is difficult for us because we constantly are training people, but it is good career development for them. So it is harder for people who know, well, in six months' time, I won't be working with these same 10 people. I'll be working with 10 new people on another project. So we have to have strings through that, which are skills development, learning, um, and building relationships across the business. So in construction, it can become really siloed to your team. So we have a lot of cross-team events, forums, training events, and the like to make sure that people are networking across the business but it also has to tie into the vision. So part of our vision is actually improving the whole construction industry. We want to share our learning, share our innovation, share our lessons learnt. So when you tie people into a bigger purpose, that does give them something over and above the current day, the current milestone, the current bathroom, their tiling, whatever, um, and brings it to a greater purpose which is we actually want to help improve the industry. The construction industry is well behind on diversity, particularly with gender, but other pillars of diversity as well. Work-life balance, uh, psychological safety, innovation, technology, you name it. So our goal is to actually improve the whole industry, not just ourselves, which gives people that higher purpose to hook on to.
0: So good. I feel like there's so much we could talk about just in that tiny piece because... Oh, there's, yeah, like, like I said, I started my career actually as a site engineer working for latent contractors in Brisbane. And I love being out inside. I can't, I can't tell you the steel caps, nerding out, you know, with counting steel, reinforcing, all kinds of things. I absolutely loved it. But I did find the culture really challenging. And um, the psychological safety piece you mentioned, I think is so important. I know for me, like I was, I think I was 20 at the time. I remember I wore sparkly shoes to work one day. I loved them. They were like glitter, silver glitter all over with these bows on them. I thought they were the <laughs> best uh people on site not so much and they paid me out about it and I'd get wolf whistled when I you know, walked across the road to get a cart and a beer for the Friday drinks and it's funny like actually the dogman the crane operator on site was awesome he had a I think he had like ten kids. He had daughters, and he really took me under his wing. And I did feel safe around him. I felt like I could share and open up with him. But there were people on site that I couldn't. And um, we're very fortunate to have a female project manager who did. You know, I told her what happened. She called things out. But it was still, you know, this is in what was it, two thousand and six, around that kind of era. but its I feel like psychological safety has been a recent phenomenon that I've heard about and I think, oh gosh, I wish I had that and some of those tools to challenge the status quo. Um, it can be, you know, we could do a whole podcast just on psychological safety, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. How do you think about it? And I think it's such an important thing for culture.
1: Absolutely. To me, psychological safety is feeling safe and comfortable to show your vulnerabilities, to admit your mistakes, to speak up to push the boundaries, to call out the elephant in the room, to have the difficult conversation. And in many industries, but especially in, in industries like construction, it is incredibly difficult. Construction's known for being very aggressive, yelly, shouty, sweary, judgy, as you've just described. Good on you for wearing a sparkly sneaker. <laughs> um, so we've really worked a lot on this. And something that really unlocked it for us was focusing on lessons learned or mistakes we call them lessons learned because it's a more future focused title mm. than a mistake which is a past focus and negative focused so what we actually have is a system where when anybody makes a mistake they share it on an online platform a Microsoft tool called Viva Engage and they discuss what went wrong and how other teams can avoid making the same mistake and that's actually then kicked off into a whole process called our continuous learning improvement process where every mistake updates a training program it updates a checklist and it updates an itp or an inspection test plan in construction so basically it means nobody can make the same mistake again now when we started this process nobody was willing to share their mistakes because why would you because in many construction companies you get yelled at fired i've seen hard hats get thrown like it's it's not great so it really took us a lot of effort it took our directors sharing their own mistakes our senior leaders sharing their own mistakes Every time somebody shares one, our directors will jump on and say, great, share! thank you for sharing. We have a monthly award, a $250 voucher for the best lesson learned posted, and it's just organically grown into this really amazing culture where we probably now have 20 or 30 mistakes shared a week, and we've started to track, well, how much money are we saving by avoiding repeated mistakes? Because sometimes people will post on a um, mistake on on Viva and write, thank you so much, we just avoided this same mistake because of your post. And we asked them to quantify it and they say, yeah, look, it would have have cost us $400,000 in three weeks on the program, which would have caused our team a whole bunch of stress if we'd made that same mistake. So um, it's also then blossomed into a lot more. So now that people are safe to admit a mistake, which is probably one of the scariest things to do at work, they are now more comfortable to speak up about diversity issues or issues with their team or manager or uh, mental health. So we've got a quite an open culture around mental health. I have people just call me and openly talk about their anxiety or their depression, which I've never had in a workplace before. So I think that the key to unlocking broader psychological safety was unlocking it around mistakes or what we call lessons learned. So that's been a fantastic three-year journey and one that's still going. But um, it really does feel like a safe place to work. And a personal anecdote, I um, run lots of mental health training. I always have in my career from my psychology background, but I've never shared my own you know, mental health struggles that we've all had along the way. But here at Capital, now that I'm running mental health training here, I just say, yeah, absolutely. I struggle with anxiety and have for a long time. And it has really opened it up for me as well as everybody else to be more open and vulnerable. And it ties back to one of our values, which is authentic. And we always say that people should be their authentic self and feel comfortable to be their authentic self um, and not to judge other people around them being their authentic self. So, yeah, I'm really passionate about psychological safety, and I'm probably rambling now. But as you can see, oh, I'm I love it forever. <laughs> it's so
0: refreshing. I just can't imagine what it would have been like, you know, if I could have shared some of those lessons learned early in my career. And I think that reframe is so powerful from a mistake or from a failure. We've, you know, done training ourselves, and we've gone. Uh, How do you deal with mistakes? How do you deal with failure? And they've been the most unsuccessful training sessions because people don't want to come. I mean, fair enough. um, We didn't have the right reframe. I should have called it lessons learned. Next one you say will be a lessons learned one. Um, But I also love how it's been... Something is simple, like something that's really simple, can then have this ripple effect throughout the organization, and it's really cool to see three years on the impact that that has had, and that people uh, are willing. And it's I really love that celebration piece, and I think that can be hard to get right in organizations. Of how do you celebrate a mistake, and then again, really diving into that impact? You know, who doesn't want to save four hundred thousand dollars and have other people make those mistakes? It's oh, so powerful. I love it. Um, I can also hear as well that kind of there's so many cross pollinations as well within your organisation. People are changing projects. They're having this um, you know online tools to engage. It's going to be really powerful to share across the organisation. I'd love to dive into the values. You said earlier that you know the values and the vision aren't just a poster on the wall, and I think it can be for a lot of organisations. I feel like. Most organisations I've worked for have integrity as one of their values. That could be such a hard thing to define. And how do you how do you think about it? How do you make it not just a poster on the wall? Particularly, you know, if people are on site, they're going to be probably in donors or not going back to an office every day. There's not going to be that home base. How do you yeah? How do you think about vision and values?
1: Great question. So Capital's vision is to build the best buildings, do no harm, and improve the construction industry for a better life. And that's pretty broad. So the first thing we do is we have absolute commitment from the leadership team at all levels, that it's real and that we will act on it, make decisions on it and put our money where our mouth is on it. So I'll start with the decision. So I, you know, I sit in the senior leadership team meetings and sometimes we'll be arguing over, do we go with option A or option B and options A more expensive, option B is harder, whatever. And one of the directors will pipe up and say, guys, which one gets us to our vision quicker? Let's go down that path. And we'll say, oh, but it's $200,000 more expensive. They say, we don't care. If that's the one that gets us to our vision quicker, that's the decision we're making. And I have seen them put their money where their mouth is on that. I won't go through the um, the technicalities of a boring construction story, but we have made uh, a decision that was several million dollars, which came off profit, profit margins, basically white profit margins, to build a better building and do no harm to the environment. So we had made some decisions in the design process uh, phase of the project, which when we reflected on it, were not in line with our vision. So the directors said, no, we're not doing it that way. We're changing it. We're redoing it. And it basically, as I said, ate away most of our profit margin, but we did it to stick to our vision. And we've got many, many stories like that where we are acting in line with our vision to the detriment sometimes of uh, some profit or whatever it might be. Uh, But that shows our people and our customers that it's real and it's not um, marketing spin, it's not a poster on the wall and it can really, part of my crudeness, it can be a bit wanky sometimes, vision Mm -hmm. statements. What we also do is we get feedback from our people on our vision. So every month I run a vision and value session and we randomly pick 15 people who have been with us for, for long enough to have seen it and we bring them in for a workshop and we actually get them to tell us what are we doing day to day that's moving us towards our vision and what are we doing day-to-day that's moving us away from our vision? Mm-hmm. So they're kind of the accelerators and the handbrakes on it. And uh, the senior leadership team always pulls through all of the feedback that come from those sessions um, and we get really great ideas and we just hear what's happening on the ground that is contravening our vision statement because a big, broad vision statement is really hard to turn into tangible day-to-day behaviours. So we have broken it down into daily tangible behaviours around how we make decisions, how we engage, how we spend our money or don't spend our money to make sure that it is in line with vision. Well, wow. so of values, values, um, it's its a fairly similar process. So, again, our values are supportive, authentic, inspirational and driven. And what we have is a very detailed list of behaviours that we want to see and don't want to see aligned to each of those values. But given one of them is authentic, we're also really authentic in saying Not nobody in this business is doing all the do's and none of the don'ts. Nobody in this business is superhuman. So all we ask of people is to understand them, and that every week you do more of the do's and less of the don'ts. So again, in induction we go through that line by line, behaviour by behaviour. What does it mean? How does it show up on site? How do you interact with people to bring this value to life? And we go through those in the vision and value sessions again each month. We get people to tell us which values we are living and breathing as a company and which values we're not living and breathing as a company. And then I do some reporting across, you know, 12 months of those those sessions and the leadership team go through that. So, for example, to be completely open, we're happy to share where we're not doing well. One of the ones we're not doing well at is talking over the top of people. (laughs) It's one of the values, uh, one of the behaviors that sits under one of our values of supportive um, and we always get the feedback that people just talk straight over the top of people out on site or in meetings so we're really working on that so we try and show our teams that it's really tangible and not a big fluffy word and then we again we tell the stories so on that platform I mentioned before on Viva we will call out behaviors that are in line with our values every team meeting agenda has a section where every week they have to call out behaviors that do and don't a lot so. that do and don't align to the values. So it's embedded in day-to-day practices. It's it's not just something you touch base on once a year in a performance review or up at the board level. It's day-to-day and it's tangible.
0: The engineer in me is loving the systems and processes that are sitting behind what you're doing. And it sounds like it's been so well thought through of just, it's all those, again, like those micro things that, okay, we can include it. Here's a, here's a tangible example, you know, talking over the top of someone. I love that because you can notice, go, oh, I am doing that or, oh yeah, cool. Okay. That person usually does. Now they've stopped. Oh, I can see them changing. And it's such a simple, straightforward thing. It's not complicated and you can actually directly see that out on site or wherever you are. And it sounds like, you know, there's even in that, you've created a psychologically safe space where people can come to you and share what's working and what's not working, which is huge. I don't I don't know many organizations that that can gen, you know are genuinely doing that and having that authentic approach again i think authenticity is something that's talked a lot about in leadership today but it's um you know not really actually delivered um in the workplace so i feel like i just need to celebrate and congratulate you on all of the work that you've done because it's blowing my mind of how detailed you've thought about this now i'm sure this didn't happen overnight has this been you know a real process like tweaking adjusting and changing yourself and kind of to give people an idea what kind of time frame have you been embedding this on you sort of mentioned three years earlier um with some of the work but has this been a a long time thing that you've been implementing
1: yes so i started three years ago and some of these programs were in place before me so the lessons Mm -hmm. learned sharing on viva was in place but it just wasn't getting the traction we needed Uh, The vision wasn't written until I'd been here for six months or so. So that's about a two and a half year journey. So they are very long journeys. They generally start out small and uh, organically grow. And I think being open where things aren't working or haven't landed well with your staff is really important, which comes back to feedback. So we do a lot of feedback forums. Uh, Each role has a quarterly forum. Uh, we do annual retreats where we take uh, groups of people off-site for two days at all levels of the business to get their feedback. We do a lot of surveys. We do a lot of workshops, uh, some face-to-face, some online, different ways of getting feedback. So we are constantly tweaking. And that's the same for systems and processes and how we do things as well as the culture. We, just, uh, we say that feedback is our lifeblood. So, like your cardiovascular system, the feedback comes. Your blood comes into your heart and gets oxygenated and pumped back out. The feedback comes in. The system or the process gets tweaked, and then it gets pumped out again in a constant cycle. I think mm-hmm. if you try and set and forget anything in an organisation that's growing as quickly as ours, it's not the right approach. So, yes, the vision and values. Uh, we still have lots of work to do to keep embedding it, and we'll never set and forget with that. I will do those monthly workshops. Until we decide there's a better way to do them, um, uh, we will keep asking for the feedback because you're net. You're actually never there. If you've got a vision statement that you've achieved, you haven't written a good aspirational vision statement. You've written a mm-hmm. task or a goal, not a vision statement. So, so mm-hmm. have a, a statement like improving the whole industry. We'll never achieve that. We'll never go tick. How good are we? It's something we can always do better at, which makes it so aspirational. So, yes, these are all long burn. There's Mm -hmm. no program I can say to a HR person, yes, go and do this and in three months' time it'll be great. Um, It's all – there's always a starting point but then it has to be day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month discipline. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. If you were kind of teleported to a new organization for a moment, that didn't, you know, where would you and didn't have these systems and things in place? Would there be one thing that sort of stands out to you as, oh, that's a simple thing that can really be that catalyst for starting this journey or that catalyst
1: for change to get where capital is? Would you recommend anything to people? For me, if I parachuted into another organization, I'd have to spend a lot of time with the leaders, sussing out how authentic they are when it comes to the vision and values. Because if they're not engaged with them and they're not dedicated to them and they're not going to live and breathe them themselves and not going to put the money where their mouth is, then they're the wrong vision or the wrong values for the organization or the wrong leaders for the organization. So I'd actually spend a lot of time sussing that out first uh, before then spending a lot of time observing the culture to see where it's truly at. So it's really hard for me to answer that question to say, yes, I do this one thing. Mm. But I'd start with really truly understanding where the leaders are at and how authentic they are and how much they really truly understand or see the matrix, as I said before, when it comes to people and culture. Because some of the things we do are very different and take trust. And my directors are amazing. And I think if I went to organisations where the leaders didn't kind of see that people matrix, if I said, yeah, this is going to be a three-year program and it might have a great impact, some leaders would go, ah, no, you can't do that. I want to see something tangible tomorrow. Culture to change and people change and winning hearts and minds. You, you can rarely do that overnight. It's always long burn. So you have to have people dedicated to the journey. So, if you
0: think about the, the the top leaders, and we believe that there is a leader in everybody, and I think it's not just the responsibility of leaders in an organisation. Absolutely, they set the tone, but I think there's also a real opportunity that I think often gets missed by for for young people, emerging leaders, middle managers, of. Living these cult, you know, living the culture, the values, the vision, um, and, and sharing some of those things like being a safe, psychologically safe space. What would your advice be for people in those situations? How can they support the culture, the vision of the leaders, and implement that kind of every day? What would be an approach you'd recommend for them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, anybody can be a leader no matter their role. You can be a cadet who hasn't even finished uni yet and you can be a leader by the way you hold yourself, by the way you interact with people, by the way you um, live and breathe the values. So yes, anybody can be a leader and you can show your leadership potential from a very, very young age or from the day you start in an organisation. I think it's really understanding the vision and the values and making sure you understand what it means day to day. So breaking it down into really tangible steps, really tangible actions you can take, but also making them visible. Not everybody wants to say, hey, look at me, look at this thing I'm doing. And it's not about that. It's not about jumping up and down or trying to be arrogant about it, but it does have to be visible to the people around you. So finding ways, finding opportunities to talk, finding opportunities to present, finding opportunities to um, be seen, role modeling those behaviors as well. But even, you know, one-on-one, how you hold yourself, how you interact, how authentic you are, um, can really show that you are a leadership potential.
0: I'm so glad you brought it up in that way because I think there is this expectation to be a great leader. You've got to be charismatic and an extrovert and uh, these Jim Collins's book um, talks about actually – uh, char- uh, char- being charismatic is actually not a leadership trait, which is a big was a big surprise to me when I read that. And, you know, you don't, leadership doesn't have to be this, yeah, person at the front of the room speaking or in that, you know, having leadership in their title. It can be in different ways. Have you explored with this authenticity piece how to be your authentic self at work? Is it something that you um, bring into your organisation as well? And how do you navigate that? Because, um, yeah, I can... From my experience in construction, there was a lot of really, you know, blokey culture and the yelling and the throwing things in meetings. Uh, not all the time, but occasionally. Or I was even told once to sit outside the meeting room while the superintendent yelled at the project manager, and then I would come in when the yelling had been finished. <laughs> so, um, yes, but I had some great moments in construction as well. Um, but yes, I, I really struggled with that. How do I be my authentic self when that was kind of what I was role modeled? Uh, obviously, the right situation to be in. But, um, yeah, how do, you, how do you go about that authenticity piece? Because I would love for everyone to have that at work, but sometimes it feels like it's not possible.
1: Yeah, it's a really hard one. Look, given one of our values is authentic, we really encourage it. And that, that then comes to us to hire people that do align with that because if we're encouraging people to be their true self and they don't align to our values, they're going to be role modelling something that, that you know breaches our, our values. So, um, yeah, you do have to create a psychologically safe culture where people do feel comfortable mm-hmm. to be themselves but also just give them the confidence that just because your manager's behaving in a certain way doesn't mean that's the right way and doesn't mean there's not another way that can be just as effective. So we do for our leaders, we have what we call our leadership philosophy, which is kind of like the 10 commandments of leadership is, you know, things like be humble, work as much on the team as in the team, uh, be future focused with your people. So we've got 10 of those, but we say to people, please do them in your style. We are not dictating how to interact with your people day to day. We want you to do that authentically because if you're not authentic, then you're not trustworthy to people. They can mm-hmm. tell. People can tell when you're not being your true self. So I'd encourage people not to think, oh, my leader's acting in one way, so I better act in that way because people will see that you're faking it <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and trying to be something that you're not, and then they won't trust you. And without trust, you've got nothing really in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So I'd actually really encourage people to explore what the values mean to them and how they can show it in their way Um and also, this is a hard one, but calling people on it when they're not acting in line with the values or acting in a way that's, you know, supportive or caring or empathetic. So, we part one of our values behaviors is to uh, speak directly to someone and not create triangles, not speak to everybody mm-hmm. else about your issues with someone, but just say to them, Hey, the way you talked to me yesterday was not in line with our values, supportive. I didn't feel supported by the way you spoke to me. And that's really hard. To give mm. people the confidence to do that, but we also train our leaders on: you have to receive that feedback. You can't shut down and be defensive and bat it back at them when you get constructive feedback like that. Because we're all here to learn. Uh, so, mm. in one of our leadership philosophies, is um, always be learning about yourself. Always be curious about yourself. Uh, because just because you've got to manage a manager title now doesn't mean you've made it. It means you're just on a different different learning journey now so you have to be really emotionally intelligent, really self-aware, really introspective. We train our leaders on emotional intelligence as well so they can self-reflect. So I'm kind of getting off tangent here from authenticity, but you you can't just say to someone be your authentic self. You have to create an environment where they can be their authentic self without being judged, but also an environment where people understand that it takes all types and it takes a mix of all types. So we do profiling, we use a profiling tool called Insights Discovery. And we help people understand that everyone's different to you and you can't just behave with everybody in exactly the same way. You have to tailor to who you're speaking to and their style and meet them halfway. You have to do it authentically. You have to still be you, but you have to understand not everybody is the same. So we've got leaders um, with very, very different leadership profiles and personality profiles who are just as successful. And we point that out to people. We say, hey, you know, Harry and Elliot have very, very, very different approaches and personalities, but look at them. They're both just as successful. So don't think, oh, a construction manager in construction has to be aggressive and controlling and loud and sweary and shouty because, look, here's one that's really successful that's not like that. So be you. Yeah. Oh, So I love the piece you just touched on about
0: confidence, and I find that really a fascinating word to bring to the conversation because yeah being there's one thing to be authentic but then there's that confidence piece and I think often you know I look back on my career and I definitely just tried to blend in be like everybody else I would describe myself as creative and a people person which is not something people often associate with engineers and you know being a woman I look quite young I just always felt out of place and it actually took a project outside of work where I got to be a leader when I um, ran an event for for girls to find out about engineering that I realized oh I was being my authentic self I expressed myself in a different way oh there's these skills that I never even realized I had because because I myself had those self-limiting barriers upon me of I should be like everyone else and try to fit in so building that confidence I think is so key and it really can be a journey for people and I was very fortunate that when I did be my authentic self then I actually felt like I was more successful when I wasn't which of yeah, that generally makes sense. Um, but that confidence was something I really struggled with. Do you see those things going hand in hand, the authentic, the confident, and how does that dynamic play out for people or for you or for people in your organisation?
1: Yeah, look, I think everybody's been there, especially starting out in their careers or starting out at a new organisation. It does take a while to find your feet. I wish I had a magic bullet solution for that, to just inject confidence into people. I certainly have had periods of my life when I've not been very confident in myself, my abilities or being myself. And when I reflect on those moments, I was in the wrong environment for me. So you would have heard that analogy that if the flower is dying, you you fertilize it. So it's the environment of the flower. You don't blame the flower. You look at the soil. And I think when I reflect back, the organizations I was in when I wasn't feeling confident in my own abilities and didn't feel confident to be myself, I was actually in the wrong place. Because when I am in the right place, I do feel really comfortable. I can be more authentic. I can call out the elephant in the room and have the hard conversations without worrying. So I think part of that is just time and learning who you are. So part of that emotional intelligence piece again, but partly it's look at your environment as well.
0: I've never heard that analogy and I wish I had because that's really good and I'm going to steal that and I, that is amazing because I felt like that flower so many times in my career so I can absolutely relate. And would you have any advice for young people who are starting out their career, you know, how they can learn about that, you know, emotional intelligence is a big one, the self-awareness, the authenticity because often at early on you don't really know know yourself I think in your career and you might not have had a lot of project experiences so how can we support and engage that next the next generation to lead in the construction industry do you think?
1: Yeah I mean on that emotional intelligence piece um, there's plenty of people can read on it but it's really as simple as notice you and how you react but also notice how other people react to you. So every day you can do a quick exercise of reflecting back on how you behaved in the day, how people responded to how you behaved in the day, how you felt during the day at certain points when people were talking to you in certain ways. And you just build that awareness of who you are and how people interact with you and react to to you and how you interact with the world. I think that's really important. I probably wasn't as self-aware as I needed to be until I was probably in my mid-20s. And that's probably where my career really started to take off because I understood myself better, understood what I wanted and needed better. Um, And then uh, the other part of your question was around um, how people can engage with the culture and understand that. I, I know it sounds really kitsch again, but it's coming back to truly understanding the values of a business and choosing where to work based on that. So when you're in an interview, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say, give me examples of where you live and breathe these values. Give me examples of where you've brought this vision to life. Ask questions like, what's the turnover of the organization? Because if a lot of people are leaving, that says a lot about the organization as well. So get curious and not just go for a job because of the title or the money. Ask about the environment because it's the environment that will make your experience it's not, you know, you can be a project manager at 100 different companies in Victoria, and your tasks of the job are the same, and the salary is probably fairly the same, but your experience will be vastly different because of the culture of the organisation. So get curious about that, and actually make decisions based on values, and understand your own values. I didn't define my own values statement until I was probably in my 30s, and a lot of people don't have their own values statement, but it helps you really make good decisions in your life and be in environments that align whether that's friendships or relationships to organizations or cities or cultures countries where you live um I think values is really really important and something we've turned into something really kitchen wanky but mm-hmm. it's not it's actually really core to who we are and how we should operate in the world
0: Absolutely. I just did an exercise a few months ago on my values and I was surprised. I hadn't done it for a very long time. I couldn't even tell you what they were previously. And now I am really clear about them. And it's funny. Now it's kind of like now that I've taken those glasses off, I can see the world and go, oh, that's why I love that. That's why I hate that. It makes sense now because I understand, you know, what, yeah, what those drivers are for me. And I just kick myself and go, oh my gosh, I'm I'm 37. I can't believe I haven't done that earlier. So it's a really powerful exercise to do. My last question before we wrap up is what would most people disagree with you about? I feel like it's a bit of a challenging one and make the conversation a bit spicy. What comes to mind for you? I find it's often something that people are passionate about. Um,
1: Oh, people would probably disagree that South Australia has the best wine and cricket ground in the world. Um, (laughs) But on a serious note, um, a lot of leaders I've worked with have disagreed with me around that that people matrix that I talked about, the the more you invest in people, the more profitable your business will be. Not a lot of leaders can actually see that tangible line. They just don't get that. They see people as just another resource in the business like the pens and the notebooks in the cupboard. Um, Mm -hmm. It takes a special leader to really truly understand that and give, not carte blanche, but give a lot um, to the experts around culture to let them do some of these long pay things, to get them to do some of the things that um, look counterintuitive to profit. Uh, A lot of leaders would probably disagree with me on my stance around that. But really, truly, I mean, the statistics show it, but also the experience shows that the more you invest in people, the more profitable and successful your business will be every time.
0: So good. I feel like my mind has been blown this conversation. There's so much I've learned from you. So it's been a real privilege speaking with you. I can see why you've got these awards because you've just described an incredible playbook of how to embed amazing cultures, correct great places to work. Also, I think have people feel valued, feel safe and feel like organizations are walking the talk. And I really hear that in your speaking as well. You naturally seem someone who is curious, wanting to learn. You're embedding those values every day. So Alice, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much Felicity. Amazing. I will stop the recording. Hello and welcome to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury. Today, we are deep diving in to all things people and culture in the construction industry. We have a very special guest, Alice Hanna, who's head of people and culture at Capital Group. We're going to have a pretty interesting chat. It's going to Hello and welcome to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury, CEO and co founder of We Aspire. Today we're going to dive into what makes a workplace a great place to work. I'm sure you've been there when you've experienced not that. And it's pretty amazing when you can love coming to work, be your authentic self, be in a psychologically safe environment and really connect with the vision and the values of an organization. Our next guest, Alice Hanna, has done just that. She's won a number of awards and made some of her workplaces the number one best place to work. She's currently head of people and culture at Capital Group. And it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. Alice, welcome to the show.